Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So I can't tell you if Hillary Clinton is guilty. I can only tell you that Hillary Clinton is guilty. If you ask me, my view, my thoughts, I find her to be absolutely horrific. I find Hillary Clinton to be duplicitous in a way that's hard to understand. I find this whole conversation about spying on candidate, private citizen Donald Trump and President Trump to be so horrific, so awful. And you take a look at the filing from John Durham, the special counsel put in place by then Attorney General William Barr. And this filing that says, yes, indeed. They brought on the experts of experts to try and figure out how to create a narrative, frame a narrative that they could then peddle to use against Donald Trump. It's it's horrific. And you look at it, you're like, how, who in the world thinks of these things? And the answer is they do. People thinking on a level that you have never thought to think on before. People who are working on a level that will downright frighten your soul about what they will do to win. And the answer is, of course, anything. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833 got Tony. 833-468-8669. William Jacobson joins us right now. He is the mind behind legalinsurrection.com. Cornell Law Professor. And I wanna I want to get you on to to kind of break this down to make sure we're all looking at the same things. The fact that I am disgusted doesn't mean that I'm reading the filing correct and the filing may go through some changes and some morphing so as you know the story sir what is it that john durham has filed what then comes from it well it was a very unusual filing because it's the prosecutors going to the court and saying we think the defense law firm may have conflicts of interest here and we want to make sure that uh, on the record that the defendant waives them and is aware of them so that you don't go through a whole process and the defendant says, oh, the conviction's no good because my lawyers had a conflict of interest, you know, ineffective assistance of counsel or something like that. So uh, ostensibly the reason for this filing is Durham wanting to protect against that, you know, get it on the record, alert the court, you know, have the defendant make a waiver of conflict on the record. But he put in all these details that you're talking about and everybody's talking about, which were a little bit gratuitous. I mean, it's a little bit unusual. I don't know. He didn't have to put that level of detail in there. And the detail is that um, the Clinton campaign through their law firm, the same dirty law firm that arranged for the Steele dossier, um, uh, Democrat uh, operatives, uh, you know, was monitoring. And, and he doesn't really get into a lot of detail. He, they were they were they used a uh, Virginia academic unit that had a federal contract to do some sort of cyber um, monitoring, and they used that access that most people wouldn't have to then monitor internet traffic to and from or at Trump Tower, um, at Trump's apartment building, um, and then they also say at the at the White House Executive Office of the President. Um, now. 
We don't know when that happened. And a lot of people jumped to the conclusion, oh, they, they monitored Trump while he was president. But that's not clear at all from the filing when that happened. Uh, but so anyway, yes, in, in everyday parlance, in everyday political speech, the Clinton campaign was spying on the Trump campaign and was spying on Trump by monitoring something that most people do not have access to. And the only way they got access to it is their law firm um, hired a group who also had a federal contract that gave them special access to various information to monitor. And then what they were hoping to find is something incriminating that they could then take and spin into a tale of Russia collusion. So that's the thing everybody's talking about. So, so breaking it down to those two component parts, Durham did not need to put any of those bits of information into the filing. But the fact that he put them into the filing doesn't make the, those bits of information false, correct? No, no, not at all. What I'm suggesting is he, he must have had some reason for doing that. Maybe he wanted to spark this public conversation or maybe he wanted to put the heat on certain people who maybe aren't cooperating with him, that he knows a lot more than they know he knows. And so there was some reason he put these details in there. He didn't need to. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're false. In fact, they're probably true. He's got you know a fair, fair level of um, detail in there, and I don't think he'd file, make a false filing. So I, I think it's true, but we don't know enough about it. Uh, he doesn't allege that this monitoring was in and of itself illegal. He doesn't say it was not illegal, so we don't know. We don't know where he's going with it. Uh, there's a lot of speculation, but clearly um, the Clinton campaign, as anybody would use the term, spied on the Trump campaign and spied on Trump and used all this to spin the false uh, Russia collusion narrative that we now know ended up consuming the nation for almost all of Trump's presidency. So and now let's all- split the two things, the court of public opinion versus the actual courtroom that you work in. And let's start with the courtroom that you work in. Hillary, uh, you've got John Durham. You've got this filing. You have this investigation that's been going on for years and is really for people on the political right has brought no fruit. Right. It's like, holy hell, this thing keeps going on and on. When do we start seeing some results as you see it? What does this filing lead to? We know that, for example, and we've seen the reporting that there are more people than we know of who are cooperating maybe this filing was to put some pressure on some people is 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 he getting somewhere is durham getting somewhere in this we're going to see something maybe in our lifetime i i don't know i mean you know ever he's been at it for years now he was actually appointed by william barr william barr was the attorney general and so you know he seems to be extremely methodical uh, you know, we've been disappointed so many times. I mean, you better believe that if it was the roles were reversed, there would have been by the Eric Holder Justice Department multiple indictments by now. You know, but he's been very low key doing his thing every now and then there'll be a court filing that gets everybody excited. Um, but so far, the, there haven't been many indictments. There haven't been many criminal charges. Uh, and the biggest one is against this this lawyer for lying to the FBI Uh, You know, but there's got to be more to that also, because his lie to the FBI is when he presented this evidence, he said he was doing it independently. And in fact, he was working for the Clinton campaign. Okay, that's that's a lie. But there's got to be something else going on here. I think they're trying to flip this guy. They're trying to do something. Uh, But if, if this guy Sussman is all they end up getting, it will have been pretty much a failure. I mean, they really need to get closer to the heart of the Clinton campaign operation. 
to, to get something here. And right. I don't know if Durham will get it or not. You've got one uh, pleading of, of guilty. That was that was Kevin Kleinsmith, who also um, was charged with lying to the FBI. That's very much a catch-all kind of thing that the FBI can catch you lying just when you say hello. Uh, but this uh, on Michael Sussman seems to be uh, that's the the former Clinton lawyer, the Perkins Coey lawyer, partners with uh, Mark Elias. Uh, that seems to be the 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 connection point that they're that that they're going after, and we have certainly seen that uh, the Justice Department can be absolutely positively brutal, and I'm, it's not something I think they should be proud of. You take a look at the way they engaged the raid against Paul Manafort, the way they engaged the raid against uh, Roger Stone, and this is just a, a tip of the iceberg stuff for the ways in which uh, they, they operate. They can apply pressure. The question is, what what discretion does Durham have in a Merrick Garland Department of Justice? Well, he's a special prosecutor, so, you know, he's running his own prosecution. I mean, in, technically, he is, I believe, um, you know, under some level of supervision by the attorney general, but he's a, he's a special prosecutor. So he's got a lot of discretion as to where his investigation goes. That's one of the things people complain about with special prosecutors is they never go away. And so, uh, I, so you know, I don't, I don't think Merrick Garland can, can quash whatever it is Durham wants to do. So now let's go the other place, as we said, talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Let's go to the court of of public uh, opinion here just for a moment. It's Hillary and team spied on Donald Trump. How does this play out? And are there other legal challenges that can come from this, including from Donald Trump himself? Well, I, I don't think so. But this is a replay, essentially, of the, the Hunter Biden laptop, uh, complete media silence. Uh, and now what you're seeing is the media downplaying. it. Oh, this is nothing. This is nothing. You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, You caught all that this morning. I thought yeah. Morning Joe was going to have a heart attack. How dare we? This is this is gobbledygook. This is zero. That's right. And you know what? Because they were silent for a number of days because they couldn't figure out what story to tell. And now the media has seized and the Democrats have seized on the story. It's a nothing burger here. There's nothing here. Uh, and a couple of people got overly aggressive in conservative media and said they were spying on Trump while he was in the presidency. And that's not at all clear from this filing. And I guess there's been some denials of that. Why they would monitor Internet traffic to and from the Obama White House makes zero sense if they're trying to get stuff on Trump. But uh, it's just not clear when that took place. But even if it didn't take place while he was in the White House, then, you know, they still were uh, spying in a way uh, to try to get the goods on Trump. Uh, and it was part of a broader plan. And that's what the Durham filing makes clear. This wasn't just spying for the sake of spying. It wasn't spying so they could use something against Trump necessarily in the campaign. It was spying to create a deception that they would then feed to the government uh, and then would get leaked out that the government is investigating these secret alpha bank uh, connections and server connections and things like that. So it was a very manipulative sort of thing they were doing here. It wasn't just like, you know, somebody putting their ear to your window and hoping to catch a conversation. OK, it was it was intended to deceive the government and then have it leak out to the media uh, just like the Steele dossier did uh, about about this. And and in fact, there were leaks. There were p- 
people, you know, with this Alpha Bank and the secret server. And, and Durham in his filing says there, there was no uh, secret server connection. They've looked into it. They, they could not find that. OK. Uh, and so this was I mean, the, the Clinton campaign. I mean, this has got to be at least of what's publicly known, the dirtiest operation, you know, we've seen in our lifetimes. I mean, the Clinton campaign was thoroughly manipulative. They paid for uh, and obtained a phony uh, steel dossier that in part was based on Russian intelligence sources. I mean, there was collusion in the 2016 election between the Clinton campaign and Russian operatives, okay, uh, to create that steel dossier. But, you know, Hillary's very crafty. Her people are very crafty. She always stays three or four or five levels away from stuff. And she's got law firms between her and what's going on. There's a reason they chose the law firm to, to pull all these things, because then they can t- claim attorney-client privilege and things like that. And it's, they, it just creates barrier after barrier. T- classic Clinton manipulation. And it did serious damage to our country. Not that it almost flipped the election f- for her, but it essentially paralyzed the Trump presidency for most of his presidency with these frivolous accusations that were stoked by the Clinton campaign. Let me, before I let you go, and I know I'm taking up your time and, and I appreciate it, just uh, quick, as a lawyer, somebody who teaches law, you, you've got these students in front of you and you've got this thing happening, this Hillary Clinton thing, this, this Mark Elias thing, this Perkins Coey thing happening. How do you explain this to, to, to law students? Well, again, we don't know what the illegality is. I mean, there's you know a difference between something that's improper um, and something that's illegal. And you know, permeating the Clinton campaign was impropriety. Permeating the role of their lawyers was impropriety. And it's really you know, other than so far a couple of lies to the FBI, we the illegality, the criminal illegality of it hasn't been proven. But, you know, it, it's very hard. I mean, I, so I think the lesson for law students is not everything that's wrong is necessarily illegal, uh, you know, and that's something that particularly progressives seem not to accept because they want to criminalize political differences. Um, but, you know, uh, political differences and sleazy conduct does not equate necessarily to illegality. William Jacobson. Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate you taking the time. More to get to. I'm Tony Katz. $167 million viewers. That's what the Super Bowl brought in terms of audience in the whole day they're saying it was 101 million watch the super bowl across nbc and telemundo when it comes uh to streaming it was 11.2 million and they're saying overall because they had the olympics 167 million people were watching it's uh, the, the, they say the largest, the largest audience. Is the largest audience ever for sports? Is that their argument? Right there? Because I'm not surprised. It says with a total reach of 167 million viewers, Super Bowl 40, uh, 56 capped the NFL's biggest season ever with their new season and everything else. 
I think the story here is thank the uh, playoffs. Or, or are we going to say thank the halftime show? Were people watching because of great playoff games or were they watching because of Snoop and Dr. Dre? Because I think you can find people who will say either one. But I don't think there's any doubt that this playoff season for the NFL has saved the NFL. The storylines, uh, the, the last minute, uh, the, the, the solid play, and the no lecturing, the no lecturing is, is what made this work. That's the story here. You, you, didn't, you didn't yell at us. You didn't scream at us. You didn't do any of those things. That's what we greatly appreciate. Good football and no, and no lectures equals happy people who want to be a part of what it is uh, that you're doing. Question is, can they keep it up? Because if you listen to what's going on in, uh, in blogs or in, in other places, they will tell you um, that uh, this was just a big bunch of gaslighting from, uh, from the NFL. They're still not dealing with their racism. They're still not dealing with the fact that they only have one, well, now two, black coaches in the NFL. No, 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 they won't deal with any of that. This was all subterfuge. So I guess they're claiming that Dr. Dre and and Snoop and and, and Mary J. Blige and and Kendrick Lamar and 50 Cent, uh, they're all part of it. They're all in on it. They don't care what happens to black people as long as they get a couple bucks. I assume, I assume that's what they're saying. I don't want to put words in their mouth, mind you. I I would never, ever do such a thing. But it certainly seems like that's what they're saying. Certainly seems like that's the argument that they are making. Not my argument, theirs. You will find that there are people who will never be happy. They will never be satisfied. And they always have to find the thing. They always have to find the thing that is wrong, the thing that is an issue. They have to be aggrieved. If they are not aggrieved, well, then how are they showing how good they are? This is about how they identify as people. I mean, it's pretty heavy at that moment. They have to do this. They have to have something wrong with it. Otherwise, you don't know how smart they are. It's uh, it's no way to be. Meanwhile, Remington settles, and Enos Cantor is not in the NBA. Oh, and the Canadian truckers. There's a lot to get to. Keep it right here. I'm Tony Katz. So producer Ari has the latest. The family of the cinematographer on the movie set Rust, the woman that was shot and killed by Alec Baldwin, the family is now suing. And the question was, five months later? Is there a reason it took so long? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Have you been able to look that up, Ari? I just sent it to you. Oh, you're okay. Oh, you sent me the story, but like, do we have any idea of why it took so long? Were they waiting on certain information? Were they waiting on maybe what the what they could actually sue for? Is it 
Is it for uh, reckless endangerment? Is there a specific terminology within the state? Because uh, this ha- they may be from California, but this happened in New Mexico. So I wonder if there was any... Just a uh, wrongful death lawsuit, it looks like. Interesting. Interesting. I, I am sure Alec Baldwin's going to say, how dare they, and I'm the real victim here. And oh, he, he could not have looked worse. In, in that interview with Stephanopoulos, someone's to blame here, but it's not me. Whoo. Okay. Good, good, uh, good, good talk. And thank you very much. I, I have a question. For the people who know cars, I have a question. In this in- inflationary cycle, the whole thing about inflation disappearing, uh, this story is driving me nuts. If you, if you saw my my morning rumble, I do a video series every day uh, about 10 a.m., a little bit after 10 a.m., uh, on rumble, rumble.com slash Tony Katz. It's called The Morning Rumble, sponsored by Americans for Prosperity. And I, 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 I'm usually talking about something economic, something cultural, those kinds of things. It's a live video, and people are commenting, and we're talking and sharing. And it was this piece out of Fox Business that Americans' inflation fears declined for the first time in over a year. Who in the... What? Tell me who is all of a sudden like, inflation, nah, it's cool. You know, I was concerned about inflation, but now, now, no, 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 now I'm, I'm totally fine. Now it's like, whatevs. It, uh, it doesn't scare me none. It's like, I used to be afraid of those of those killer bees. Remember the giant hornets that, that were coming? I used to be afraid, and now, now I don't have a worry, a worry at all. Meanwhile, we go to CBS. People are spending more time at home and less time on the roads, but 2022 is different. Take a look at this. AAA says that the national average price for a gallon of gas has climbed to $3.49 in the past week. That's 19 cents more than a month ago and nearly a dollar more than a year ago. Now, the main cause of this recent jump is the high cost of crude oil. According to the- We've been covering the high cost of crude oil. We have been all over this conversation. Crude oil prices today, if we take a look, I'll just refresh the page because I'm that kind of guy. We're full service here. It's actually down a little bit with Brent crude at about 93 a barrel. 92.91 is the actual. And uh, West Texas is at 91.58. Now, I'm not good enough to know all of the numbers. There's something called Louisiana Light and Bonnie Light. And those are cracking $98. But that could be something different than the crude oil prices. And I'm going to stick with the crude oil prices for the sake of our conversations, if that's all right. If somebody has information and could share with me about the differences in the oils, I'd take it. I'd greatly appreciate it. But the idea that people aren't worried about inflation is its just, it's nuts. It's absolutely positively nuts. Which brings us to investments in an inflationary cycle. I'm curious as to what people are doing. And I asked this question the other day. How are people handling inflation? And one of the things that we get told by uh, economist Dr. Matt Will, for example, University of Indianapolis, we have him on the show uh, often, um, is he's a believer that you should spend now because the dollar will have less value later. So you can get more for your dollar now. So now is the time to buy assets. Everybody I've spoken to to a person is like real estate. Oh, the answer is real estate. Oh, invest in real estate. I feel like that that, that ship has passed me by. 
And I'm very, very bothered by it. Because even if I wanted to, I think people are overspending. And I take a look at, well, what the rentals are. Let's say I wanted to buy a condo, right? I wanted to buy a condo. I was going to rent it out. A good, solid, all-American kind of investment. Lots of people have the amount of people I know, the most unassuming. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got, I got 12 properties. What do you mean you got 12 properties? What the hell? Holy crap. I am so far behind the times. It's nuts. And, and, and I'm like, it, it, it's crazy. Well, I take a look at what they're selling for, and I take a look at what they're renting for, and I'm like, wait a second. That doesn't seem like enough. And then you can figure out things like capitalization rate, like what are you actually making on your money? And there are some people who will tell you uh, that if you had a 5% capitalization rate, it's fine. I, I would argue that's fine. Some people are like, no, no, it's got to be eight. Got to be eight, got to be nine. And I, I think that they're playing in a world that, like, I, I think they're playing over-aggressive with me, maybe trying to be impressive or whatever the case may be. But I don't think some of the rental rates are high enough. And so they're like, I'm not so sure. And what does it matter? Because the properties are selling for so much because there's so nothing out there that I feel like I can't compete, especially considering the level of investor class that's out there spending on everything. Now, producer, I don't know if this has happened to you yet because you're still a, a newer homeowner. Have you gotten the the cold call of "Hey, we'd like to buy your house"? Oh my God, that ha- yes, a ton. I thought that was just me. Oh God, when did that happen to you? It's, I mean, wait, hold like on. The last three months, I get them all the time and text too. You've had the house for what a, a year and a half? Yeah, and you're already getting those calls. So, so they call and what do they say? They say, "Are you interested in selling your house?" And I say, "No," and I hang up. <laughs> I'm assuming it's much rougher than no. I'm going to assume that producer Ari lets loose. Uh, Yeah, we all get these calls. We get these calls. People just want to buy. Right now, just buy your house. Gone. So that's what you're dealing with in in this investment world. And I I know, Ari, you're an investor, but you're much more a stock guy than I think a real estate guy. But I don't think you're opposed to real estate. Yeah, I just, I don't have that kind of net worth to be buying houses left and right. So... I, I, I'm asking what people are investing in, and one of the other things that came up was cars. And I'm like, before anything, I'm not talking about me and my want for a classic, and, and we're not playing, we're not discussing that, right? I'm not gonna get everybody crazy. I get it conceptually. I want someone to walk me through it. I want to understand it. You take the the price of used cars today. The average used car is twenty nine thousand dollars. That's nuts. So if you can find a deal on a used car, could you hold on to it, even if you don't need it, and then in a year sell it, of course, for more? And the question is, are you playing the same game? If you bought something for 20, could you in a year from now sell it for 25? Is it a good way to hold $20,000? Does that make sense? Is it something that you're taking a loan on? If you're buying something for 10, are you selling it for 12? Is this 20%, right? Is that the way to look at it? How do people look at it? How do they see it? What I'm curious in if, if if really and truly, I mean, this is where I'm getting to, right? Here's the nitty gritty of the thing that kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Inflation is here. Inflation is real, and it's not going anywhere. Do people really change how they invest? Are pe- I'm not talking about somebody who's got outrageous amounts of cash coming out there. You know what? I'm talking about you and me. Are we really changing what we do? I, I saw some uh, some of my uh, IRA kind of investment, and I was like, uh, I was like, oh, 
Oh, it was it was not a good month last month. <laughs> we we will leave it at that. I'm going to need one more radio show just to even things out. It was not good. So what are people doing? I'd love to hear from you. I would love to know what it is that you're doing. The Canadian truckers are busy getting abused by their government. What is happening in Canada is absolutely positively obscene. Starting with a change in their terror finance laws. Our banks and financial institutions are already obligated to report to the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Centre of Canada, or FinTrack. As of today, all crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use must register with FinTrack and they must report large and suspicious transactions to FinTrack. Large and suspicious. Well, that's very specific. That's very specific. Large and suspicious to whom? Large and suspicious to the Canadian government that doesn't want truckers to say we don't want to get vaccinated and how dare they protest. I'm not talking about blocking the Ambassador Bridge or another bridge. You're not allowed to block bridges. Boom, you're out. You got to go. You're out. You simply can't happen. But they can't protest. They can't disagree. And the answer from the Canadians is no, they can't. Invoking the Emergencies Act, we are announcing the following immediate actions. First, we are broadening the scope of Canada's anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules so that they cover crowdfunding platforms and the payment service providers they use. These changes cover all forms of transactions, including digital assets, such as cryptocurrencies. So if you donate to a trucker, it's not just the trucker who they're now labeling a terrorist, it's you. Wow. Oh, and, uh, you know, one of the things that we have to do is we have to ensure uh, that we get these uh, big rigs off the road, including compelling people to do the work. One of the issues that we have seen is a challenge in uh, getting tow trucks to actually show up to uh, bring out, to, to move these large rigs. In, uh, in Windsor, uh, we relied on a generous partnership with the Americans uh, to be able to get tow trucks to move the big trucks. Um, now, with these measures that we've put in place, there will be an ability to compel, for just compensation, tow truck owners and operators to actually do the jobs for which they have contracts with various orders of government to keep highways and roads clear. So if you have a tow truck and you do any kind of government work, you have to now do their bidding and tow these other big rigs, or I guess you lose your business. That is what they're saying, right? This is out of control. I do hope this costs Justin Trudeau his job as prime minister. I really and truly do hope that was Justin Trudeau speaking right there. I do hope this costs him his gig. Horrific, offensive, 
And then he has the audacity to tell you, whoa, 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 don't blame me. Everybody loves my programs. And we are now putting forward fresh tools to do that. In terms of the reputational damage, in my conversations with fellow leaders around the world on the situation in Ukraine and others, um, it has been clear that this is something that democracies around the world are concerned with. Countries that did well during the pandemic with high vaccination rates and strong public health measures are still seeing backlashes against those measures and uh, frustration by people who are tired of this pandemic and the impact of uh, social media and uh, illicit funding of concerted activities designed to destabilize a country that has the highest vaccination rate of many of our peer countries, Canada. You mean people like you and me, that's what Trudeau means, who are saying, hey, truckers, keep up the protest. And here, here's so you can put gas in your truck. And here's so you have a place to sleep at night. And here's so you can order some food. We're happy to do it. That's who you're talking about. Listen to that line again. Uh, social media and uh, illicit funding of concerted activities designed to destabilize a country that has the highest vaccination rate of many of our peer countries, Canada. Illicit funding. Well, that is something. Uh, around an issue that is not dividing Canadians. Canadians are united in having been there for each other through this pandemic, and they're even united in being sick and tired of this pandemic. Yeah, but they're not united when it comes to force. Now, are they? They're not united. A lot of people are, are supporting the truckers. Again, I oppose blocking traffic. I always will. I get the point. It was fine when Black Lives Matter did it. Now they've got a problem with it. This is nonsense. I get the point. You are making sense. I'm with you. But I oppose blocking traffic. I oppose blocking traffic. And so if you have to tow the trucks, you have to tow the trucks. They're criminals and you're going to monitor every dollar coming in. You think that's some emergency power thing or that's just the way it is now? Because I'm willing to bet you dollars to donuts. They believe that's the way it is now. Never let a crisis go to waste. And the good, sweet Canadians, they've learned the lesson. I'm Tony Katz.